All righty, good morning. You can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning. Mark chapter 5. At least that's where we'll start. Over the last few weeks, in the month of April, we've been going over the different types of fools that are outlined in Scripture. There's five words in the Bible, well, in the book of Proverbs specifically, that are translated fool or Today's is not translated fool, but it's translated the action of one of the fools. It's called scoffing. And so that's what we'll talk about here in just a second. But before we get there, I wanted to use a New Testament time when this actually happens and talk about when Jesus experienced what we're going to talk about this morning. So Mark chapter 5. Now, when we find Mark 5, Jesus in Mark 5, verse 21, he has gone across a large body of water to, to basically get away. See, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus healed a man that um, was overtaken with demonic spirits, unclean spirits. And so Jesus finds this man. He's living out in the tombs and in the graveyard outside of the city because they would never bury dead inside the city. A Jew wouldn't because it was unclean, uh, and a pagan wouldn't because... Well, they just didn't like having dead bodies around. They wanted it to be a special place. And most of the time, pagans used it as a place of worship as well. So anyways, he finds this man out in the the tombs in the graveyard. He asks him, what's your name? And the demons reply, we are legion. You remember the story, right? And the man pleads with Jesus. He gives the implication that the man is out in the tombs because he wants to, he's essentially self-sacrificing himself. He's, he goes out in the tombs because he has these demons inside of him and he doesn't want them taking over anyone else. And so he goes out and lives in the, in the graveyard. And so when Jesus is about to put him out, you'll, you'll read in, Matthew, in Mark chapter five, he says that the man asked Jesus not to send them, the devils, the demons, out of the country. Please let them stay here. Don't, don't let them get into the city. And so Jesus heals him, casts out the unclean spirits. The unclean spirits go into some swine. Those pigs run and jump off a cliff. And you remember the story. Now, after that, people start hearing about this. People know this man who's lived out in the tombs. And so they start wondering, why is he back in the city? And the the word gets around. The man wants to go with Jesus. Down about chapter 5, verse... uh, 18, 19, 20, somewhere around in there. The man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, you need to stay here and you need to tell people about what has happened to you. And so that's exactly what the man does. And then Jesus gets on a boat, goes across the water, and he lands on the other side. And it's almost, it's almost immediate in the text. Mark chapter 5, uh, verse number 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat... To the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. He was beside the sea. We'll get back to this here in just a second. But verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my daughter, my little daughter, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed him, thronged about him. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. It's been all that she had. 
didn't grow any better, but actually grew worse. And so verse 27, she'd heard the reports about Jesus. So she goes and she says, verse 28, if I can just touch his garment, maybe that will help me. And so Jesus is walking through these, these throng of people, this large gathering of people. And the woman reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus's garment. And the Bible says that Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I don't know what that means, but he realized that something happened. He knew that something had happened to this woman. So he turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples kind of nonchalantly kind of pass it off. Jesus, listen, we're going through a crowd. Somebody, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I guess they think that Jesus is upset that someone would touch him. That goes to show you that even disciples who lived with Jesus for years and knew him uh, more intimately than any other person as a human being, knew him better as a person than any other person alive, uh, it seems to me that they think he's mad because someone touched him, which it's, Jesus is not the kind of person that's going to get mad when someone reaches out and touches him. But anyways, he says, no, 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 who is it? So the woman steps forward. He says, your faith has made you whole. And she is healed immediately. She, she knows immediately that whatever this discharge of blood was, maybe it was some sort of internal bleeding or something like that, some sort of blood disease, whatever this was, we're not giving it in scripture, but whatever, whatever the disease was is, is okay now. And so Jesus picks up and he's going to go and find Jairus' daughter. So verse uh, 34, well, verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogues, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of Jesus. They came to the house of the, rich, uh, of the ruler of the synagogue, sorry. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little, little girl, little child, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, began walking. For she was 12 years old, 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this, told them to give her something to eat. All right, the reason we went over this story is because when Jesus goes in, remember the people, the people come to him and say, listen, uh, Jairus, your daughter's dead. There's no point in even trying. Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, maybe she has passed already, and he's using the vernacular of the time and the vernacular of today that means uh, that when someone is gone to sleep, you go to a funeral and you say, it looks like they're sleeping, right? It's because Jim's good at his job. Anyways, I figured y'all laugh at that, but never mind. Don't worry about it. Anyway, so maybe he's using the vernacular of the time that she's sleeping. I mean, that's something that the Bible writers would use later on in first Thessalonians. He tells, I don't want you to be ignorant of the people that are asleep. They're not going to prevent you. They're not going to go before you. You haven't missed the judgment and you're not going to prevent them. You're not going to go before them. 
they're not going to miss eternity in heaven because they're dead and Jesus didn't come back while they were alive. Maybe that's it. Maybe she is actually dead. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's in a coma of some sort, something like that. It doesn't really matter what the state of her body, bodily and spiritual connection is. Jesus goes in. He takes only a few people with him and he heals her. But what happens outside of the house is what we're going to talk about today. The Bible says that they laughed at him. It's the Greek word kata legao. It means kata galao. There we go. Kata galao. It means laugh down. They laughed him down. They, they tried to put him in his place. They didn't just smirk at him and laugh at him. They tried to put him in his place by making fun of him. You see, a lot of times in the New Testament, in the English translations, something will be missed because we translate one word for one word. And so they laughed at him. But what the Greek says is that they, they ridiculed him. They made fun of him. It wasn't just a, Haha, that's funny. It was, what do you, you really think you can do this, Jesus? You really think that you are somehow able to heal Jairus' little daughter? They're, they're trying to put him in his place by laughing at him. That's the word, the idea behind the word that we're going to talk about this morning, which is a scoffer, a fool that is a scoffer. Now, first, I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 28 it says a worthless witness mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. It's the word, scoffers. The, the, the worthless witness mocks at justice. It's this word, lutes. It means to make mouths at in derision of justice, of judgment. So it's, it's, the, it's the person who is faced with some sort of sin and he makes fun of the law instead of changing his ways. It's the person who looks at Jesus Christ who has the ability to create everything and sustain everything, Hebrews tells us. The ability to speak the creation into existence. The ability to give his own life. Listen, people take their lives all the time in our society, in our culture, in our country, in our world. No one can just give up their life. Just will your spirit to separate from, and that's what happens at death. Your spirit separates from your body. No one can will their spirit to just separate from their body. We have to somehow take action against our form, our physical, formal bodies in order to get this. You see what I'm saying here? Jesus has the power to just. It's done. I don't have to. I don't have to hurt myself. I give up my life. I gave up the spirit on the cross. The man that can do that. Lutes scoffing is looking at him and trying to put him in his place because we don't want the implication of what could come if he does have that power. Why are the people making fun of him in Mark chapter 5? Why do they laugh him down, try to put him in his place? Because if he has the power to do this, then that means that I have some sort of obligation to do something because of it. It's not something new. Thought people, thought people. So what I'm looking for here, philosophers. I knew it started with an F. All right, 
Philosophers. It's a PH. Don't worry. I know how to spell it, but it sounds like an F. Okay. Philosophers have said this for, for hundreds of years since the time when philosophy started changing from the understanding of the thinking about God. And then there became this break between theology and philosophy. From that time, people have realized that if God exists, if God has the power to create everything, if God has the power to sustain the world, that means we are responsible for something. If he doesn't exist, we're not responsible for anything. In fact, there's a very famous philosopher who once said, if I ever come down with cancer, I'll just take my life because there's no meaning in it. He came down with cancer and he took his life. Because if there is no God, then there's no repercussions for anything that we do. If there is a God, there are repercussions. And the scoffer looks at God and says, I know it's true, but I'm going to act as if it isn't. I'm going to look at the law of God and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's what the scoffer does. Now, they're, they're either doing one of two things. Like Proverbs chapter 19 says, either they're, they're mocking their own convictions. I mean, have y'all ever, it's, it's called gallows humor or guillotine laugh. It's the idea that when you're faced with something that is terrifying, you make a joke about it. Some of you who are in the military, if you're in a fi- firefight, you get done, you probably crack jokes about what just happened, right? Because you're scared. It, 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 it goes even farther than that. If I make you feel uncomfortable right now, you will laugh. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable right now. I'll do that in a minute. Don't worry. But if you feel uncomfortable, you'll laugh about it because you're trying to, trying to negate the feeling that you have. Every time, every time a preacher goes to give the invitation and you're caught in sin, you will smirk inside. If you, even if you don't let it out. And you know you do because of the guillotine laugh, the gallows humor. They're, the scoffer, a worthless witness, mocks at justice. And the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for the scoffers and the beating for the backs of fools. You see, a scoffer looks at what he knows is right and tries to make a joke to try to get out of it. He laughs it down. He tries to put it in its place, make himself feel more important. So either they're doing that because of their own convictions or they're doing it because of the convictions of others, because they know that they should be doing what we're doing, but they're not. And I have an illustration for this. Y'all know that my best friend is named Tony Clay. He's a preacher at Phoenix City Church of Christ. Okay, Tony, this is, this is something that I'm, I'm letting you in to my inner mind here, okay? Are you ready for this? Tony used to weigh a lot more than me. Then he started this thing called the keto diet. Y'all ever heard of the keto diet? It's basically you take everything that is good and you don't eat it. Okay, so you don't eat any bread, any sugars, or any, anything. Tony used to weigh a lot more than me. Now he weighs less than me. He's lost 150 pounds in about a year and a half. You know what I do? I tried it. I couldn't do it because of some other things going on. But anyways, for a year while he's losing weight, I was making fun of it the whole time. 
well, we can't, we can't go eat lunch there on Wednesday because Tony can't eat there. You know, he only eats salads. Um, it's the same idea. It's just a scoffer does that with eternal problems, with, with condemnation of sin. They, they try to belittle the sin, try to make it as if it's not important so that they feel better about themselves. And either they're doing it because of their own convictions or they're doing it because of the convictions that you have or someone else has and they just don't want to feel as if they're responsible for doing what you're doing. For instance, Psalm chapter 119, verse 51. The insolent utterly utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Proverbs 14 and verse 9. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. You ever heard someone say something like, well, you know, Christians just get together on Sundays and they, they worship a fairy tale. You ever heard that? It's this, it's lutes. It's the making fun, the putting down of something that you know you should be doing because if I can put it down, if I can make it seem smaller if I can make my own sins feel less important, then they really don't play that big of a deal in my own life. Now, the Bible says a couple things to these types of people. And so I want to spend the rest of the time talking to to the two types of people, the person being mocked and the person mocking. So let's talk to the person mocking real quick. Number one, realize what you're doing. If you are one of these people, and I'm not saying that there are people here, but since we're studying these words, and since this is a very prevalent problem in the world today, if you're one of these people who, who makes humor because you feel as if you're convicted because of something, either your own convictions or because of the convictions of others, here's some things that the Bible says. Number one, you need to realize what you're doing. Self-consciousness is something that is seriously lacking today in the church, in the world. We just don't know ourselves. We think that we're, we're a lot better than we actually are. If, if you're one of these people, realize what you're doing. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 says this, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools disgrace. One preacher once said, the hypocrite is a fool since he cannot deceive God. The Sunday man is a fool because God will have the entire week. The Sunday man, what he was talking about are those of us who only come to services on Sundays or are only Christians on Sundays. You feel that? That's the gallows humor that's trying to come out. For those of you who have that issue, That's the gallows humor. Now, what happened to my screen? Anyways, Paul didn't use a screen, so I'm okay. All right, so. You see, a hypocrite, a Sunday man, a person who who acts as if, who acts as if he's a Christian when he's really not. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word, which means an actor. It's a person who acts We put on a good show. We put on our good clothes. We come to church. We make sure that everybody thinks we have everything together. And then we leave. And then we do whatever we want Sunday afternoon because Warm Springs Road has services that end at 2 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock. And then that means we have extra time during the week. You know, 
church is over at two o'clock. And so I got the rest of Sunday to act however I want. You see, if you're one of these people who makes light of the, of the condemnation, the conviction of the scriptures, you need to realize that what you're doing is, is covering for yourself. You need to have some self-consciousness about you. You need to realize that what you're doing is not only detrimental to yourself and detrimental to other people who see you, but you're not pulling the wool over God's eyes. Now, number two is to realize that there is a way out. Let's see if this works this time. I don't know what's happening, but anyways. James chapter four, verse number eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The double-minded is the person that we're talking about here. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, there we go, the idea of laughter, laughing down something. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's this, there's this dichotomy in the scriptures between laughter and mourning and not in the, you know, not in the way that we think about that in physical laughter or physical mourning because someone has lost, uh, you've just heard a joke or because you've lost someone. This is an idea that, that goes to how we feel about scripture. How, we, how do we interact with the things that are contrary to what we want and what we're currently doing that God has said we need to do and we need to want. So James chapter four says that we need to change it from laughter to mourning. Mark chapter five and verse 39. They're weeping. Why, why are you causing such a commotion? Why are you wailing and weeping? Mark five thirty-nine. They have the physical... The, the physical manifestation, if you want to call it that, of grief, but they don't realize that the person that can fix the actual problem in their life, the little girl passing away is horrible. That should never have to happen. It wasn't intended to ever have to happen. When we were set in the garden, we were not supposed to deal with death, ever. We we're supposed to live forever in the presence of God Almighty. But because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, they were cast out of the garden. Now we pay the consequences. We don't pay the condemnation of their sins. We pay the consequences for their sins. That should never have to happen that a little girl passes away because of a sickness or because of any reason. But what the people sitting in that room in that area don't realize is that they have a bigger problem than Jairus' daughter passing away. And that's their sins. And they're weeping and mourning. And Jesus says, why are you doing this? Uh, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I can fix this and the actual problems? And then they turn and they start making fun of him. They start laughing him down. Luke chapter 6 and verse 25 says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. You see, if you're one of these types of people, the people who, who laugh down conviction, make fun of it, maybe not even out loud. Maybe you just do it to yourself. Maybe in your mind, you, you, you laugh down the convictions and the things that, that you know are from the scriptures, you know that are from God's breath, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that you know are the, 
the outpouring of God's own personality. I mean, that's what the, the Bible is. Everything that's in the Bible that you're holding that, ends, that is a command is not just some arbitrary command that God put together to make you jump through hoops. It's because it's an outpouring of who God is. The moral laws. Now, are there arbitrary commands in there that, don't, that, that have little to do with anything other than getting us to realize our own dependence on him? Yeah, absolutely. The, the one we talked about in Bible class this morning, baptism. The, the whole reason for baptism is to show our dependence on him. 1 Peter 3.21, it's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's the inquiry of a good conscience toward God. It is when our conscience, our spirits, us, it's when we look to God and say, I can't handle my sin on my own. I need your help. But the commands like baptism, the command to have your sins washed away are an outpouring of the nature of God himself. And what we need to realize is, is that it's time to fix, it's time to fix it. It's time to, it's time to stop, stop laughing down the nature of God and start paying attention. I just want to point to you the, the importance of this. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus, well, Mark starts recounting the occurrence between Jesus and the man who's overcome with the demons. Then in verse 20, the man asks Jesus, can I go with you? Well, verse 19, verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Now, usually when you get to a part in Scripture where Jesus goes across some body of water and sits on the other side, and he's, he's standing on the shore, that's when, what happens? He, he, all the people that gather around him, the reason they gather is because they know what's going to happen. He's going to use the shoreline as a, as a natural amphitheater. Isn't it interesting that, I mean, this just goes to show you the, the foreknowledge and 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 divine intelligence of God Almighty. The natural laws of sound are set in stone. I remember back in college, we, those of you who know Jacksonville State, we had a very large band, uh, about 450 playing members or so, which isn't including the color garden, you know, all the people that just make us look good. They did their thing. But we had hundreds, 400 plus people with horns and drums in front of them playing. Now the problem is about a hundred yards difference between one person and the other means that the, the sound takes much longer than, than you actually seeing the person. And so at the times when I was on the back sideline and I was looking at the drum major, I had to realize I need to be one beat ahead of him so that when I play, the sound hits him when his hand hits down. See, the, the, laws, of, the laws of sound, the laws of science have been there since the creation of the world. Jesus knows the laws of sound. He made them. 
And so in the creation, he made these places called shorelines where it's a natural amphitheater. And you can stand in one spot and speak just like I'm speaking. And thousands of people all around you can hear him. But what happens in Mark 5 is he doesn't do what they expect. Instead, instead of talking to the masses, he takes three of his disciples and Jairus to Jairus' house. Because there's a lot of Jews there that need to see what he's about to do. And even though at the end of the passage, he says, don't tell anybody what actually happened how he actually did it. Maybe Jesus did something like he did the time when he spit on the ground and made mud and put it in the eyes of the blind person. Whatever happened in that room, people don't need to know about. But when they walk out of the room, Jairus' daughter is going to walk out with them. That's all they need to know. And it was so important that Jesus show the people who were laughing him down that he, instead of talking to thousands of people, took three guys and a dad to the house so that however many people are outside Jairus' house can see what actually was going on. And so that he knew that they were going to laugh him down. He knew that they were going to make fun of him. But he went because the people that are making fun of Jesus are the people who need to be... That's what I... Someone says, I don't want to come to church because there are hypocrites there. Good. That means we're doing what we're supposed to do. That means we are fulfilling our promise to God of being a congregation. If there are hypocrites here, that means they're exactly where they need to be. Exactly where they need to be. And all of us are hypocrites at one point or another. So if you are one of the people, realize what you're doing, understand that there is a way out, and that if you're here, you're exactly where you need to be. And if you're one of the people that's listening online, just know that if you look at the top of the website, my email's right there. All right, so now let's go on to the person who's being mocked. This is the the quicker one. Luke chapter six and verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Just after this, four verses after this, he's gonna switch it. If you laugh now, you're gonna weep. But before that, verse 21, he says, if you're weeping now, you're going to laugh. Not laugh in the scoffing way that we've talked about. But if you're one of the persons who's, the people who are being scoffed at, who are being laughed down, just know that it's going to be okay. First Peter chapter four and verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him know that he, don't, don't be ashamed, glorify God in that name. And then Romans 12 and verse 14, bless those who bl- persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes we will, we will say, we'll just write whole nations off. They just don't want to hear about the Bible. Maybe they don't, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we can't use our influence to help them. And the people who make fun of you just know that your influence probably is going to have something to do with them in the future. And I have another story to tell you, and then, then it's yours. Back in high school, I had a friend. The only reason she was my friend was because she was a trumpet player, and I was the trumpet section leader, 
And so I kind of had to be her friend. But also my best friend was dating her. Her name was Sarah. Her dad was a preacher at this little country hobo church out in Hulaco on, are you ready for this? Hogjaw Road. Welcome to Arab. Sarah's dad was a preacher out at the Hulaco Church of Christ on Hogjaw Road. I never understood why Sarah didn't go to the dances with us, why she, she, never, she never hung out with us when we were doing things of questionable morality. She made sure that she was away from us before that ever started. And I would make fun of her every now and then. Well, you know, we're going, Sarah, we're going to the movie Friday night, but I know you're probably not going to go because it's an R-rated movie. And, you know, I know you, you, you're just probably, it's okay. You just stay here. We'll see you Monday, Sarah. Then later on, she started inviting me to the youth devos, and I hated them because they were boring. There was no, you know, there was no entertainment. I thought when Sarah invited me to the youth devo at the, at the Hebron Church of Christ in Hulaco on Hogjaw Road, I thought we were going to watch a movie or something. I didn't know a devo means Bible study, and that was something I was not into back then there was a Bible study, I was fine going and watching a movie. So later on, I became a member of the church and I messaged Sarah. Now she's married and lives somewhere else. And her dad isn't the preacher at Hebron anymore. And they've, they've all moved on. But I messaged Sarah and said, well, you probably don't know this, but I made fun of you a lot in high school. And she said, no, no, I noticed. I was there. I remember. And I said, I just wanted to apologize because me making fun of you actually was that gallows humor. I knew that I should be doing what Sarah's doing, but instead I was doing what I wanted to do. You see, it's not just someone who makes fun of Scripture. Sometimes it's just someone who looks down on a Christian because of what they're doing, knowing that we should be doing the same thing. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know why we do that.